0: The passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today comes from the first letter of Peter. We're going to run to chapter 12, uh chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. Uh, before we start looking at this, let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. Good and gracious Father, Lord, given us your holy word to guide us and direct us and to teach us, Lord, how to live. How to seek you out, Lord, how to know you as our God and King. And Father, as we come to this Word today, Lord, we know that unless the same Spirit that inspired these words would inspire us today, we can understand none of these things you have set out for us. So Lord, we pray today that your Spirit would be with us, Lord, that you would be in our hearts and minds and open them up to receive your Holy Word. Lord, bless this holy reading of your Holy Word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So if I were to um, say I want to talk to you about suffering, right, you wouldn't then ask me, do you mean the good suffering or the bad suffering? Right, you would just have an understanding that if it's suffering, it's bad. Right? All suffering is bad. Actually, suffering itself is kind of a synonym for something bad, is that you're going through something bad, something so awful that you are feeling bad. And we've got to have another word for feeling bad, and so we call it suffering. Now, if I would come to you and say that there is actually two kinds of suffering, there is a good suffering and a bad suffering, you might think that I have just lost touch with reality a little bit. Or I might be a little bit strange. You're like, there is no good suffering. There is only bad suffering. The only kind of suffering we can ever experience is bad. But there is actually two kinds of suffering. The first kind of suffering is the one that we're normally associated with. It's just painful, and it leads to nothing but pain. Nothing but pain comes into it, and nothing but pain and misery comes out of it. But there's actually another kind of suffering. And this is a suffering that is painful as well. It's hard to go through. It's hard to endure, but actually blessing and hope. And glory and peace come out of this kind of suffering so that's what I mean there's two kinds there are kinds where something good comes out of our suffering and there's a kind of suffering where nothing but bad things come out of it now, that's what Peter's talking about in this part of his letter today and we're looking at this first letter of Peter and you um, know called it the, the guidebook for the exiles because that's what he calls us over and over again in this book, that you're exiles. You're having to live in this time of your exile. as You're not living in your true home. You're not even living in your true time. You're, you're exiled. You're foreigners in another place, and you've got to make do the best you can. Or rather, instead of that, we're going to make the best out of what we've got right now. And this is how we live. Look through all of this book of First Peter, how you live as an exile. And today he's talking about suffering, that there is a good kind of suffering. It's the suffering that leads to blessing and glory and honor. And he's, and he's sure, he's, he's quite specific to point both of these out. And he talks about both of them. There's the kind that leads to pain, and that's pointless suffering. And the world is full of so much pointless suffering. But there's another kind. A suffering that leads to good. A suffering that makes our life full of meaning. Now to kind of describe it, think about... Now, originally, I was going to say, think about a football team, but I don't want I don't, I to don't hurt anybody too much today. It's, I know, we're, some of us were some are sensitive about football teams, so let's say basketball team, okay, or a baseball team, right? And, and there's a lot of practice. If you've ever been part of a sports team, there's a lot of pain that goes into it. You've got to show up to practice every day. There's, sometimes there's two-a-days. There's working out in the gym. There's drills. And sometimes you've got to wake up early in the morning, and you practice real late at night. And you go through all this pain and all, sometimes even outright suffering. And if you were to do that and never play a game, you would never play a single game, you would start to think to yourself, what is the point of all this pain I'm putting myself through? But after all that practice, all that pain, all that workout, you finally get into a game. And then you start to see all those drills making sense, all those things that your coach is, is putting you through. And you're like, oh, well, hold a minute. This is making sense now. But all that pain I went through wasn't for no reason at all. It was so we could play the game well. Well, let's say you you worked out for years and years, and you lost seven years in a row to your in-state rival, and you're like, what's the point of all this suffering? (laughs) And then finally you're like, oh, yeah, this is why. I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. But this is the suffering that Peter is talking about, that talks about the kind that leads to purpose, the kind that leads to something better. And what's great about this is you get to choose which kind of suffering you go through in life. You get to pick. Do I want the pointless, meaningless suffering, or do I want the, the suffering that is full of meaning? And it has a very specific point to it. This is what he starts out in verse 12 of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. That's the first thing he says about suffering. He says, Don't be surprised. Why are you surprised when suffering happens? It's like something bad happens. We're like, What's going on? This is so bizarre. This is so unusual. Peter's like, No, don't be surprised. This isn't unusual. This is something that you should expect, this kind of suffering. So often, um, I mean, people, I mean, we feel like suffering is unusual anyway, but, but Christians especially can kind of get into this trap where they think their suffering is something that is just so unusual and should never happen. That, that there's this idea that as soon as you become a Christian, you've joined the side of the good guys, and you do good things now. At least you're trying to do good, and bad things shouldn't happen to you. You know what? Because doggone it, I'm trying to be good, and I'm one of the good guys. The bad things should happen to the bad people. Not to me. I'm good now. I'm a son of the king. He should be watching out for me. And, and he is watching out for you. But it's not unusual when we suffer. And see, we, when we become a Christian, we also ha- actually have k- kind of the wrong mentality about it because we're not fully understanding what exactly is happening. See, over, If we re- read these scriptures over and again, not only Jesus, but Peter and Paul both talk about who's the, real, who's the ruler of this world right now. And it's not anybody good. It's actually Satan. Satan is the ruler of this world right now. His power has been broken. It's limited. But he's still out there uh, behind the scenes pulling the strings. That's why Jesus even calls him the God of this world. Peter and Paul call him the prince of this world. And over again we're told that he has got a lot of authority still in this world to influence things, to change things, to influence even our life. And he was the God of this world, the God of this kingdom of darkness that ruled the world up until the time of Christ. So when you have actually become a Christian, what you're doing is engaging in an act of rebellion. You are engaging in an act of rebellion. You are joining an uprising that began with Jesus. When Jesus said, I am starting my kingdom right now, and we are working to overthrow the prince of this world. And when you became a Christian, you joined the uprising. You said, I'm joining your uprising, Jesus, and we're going to fight against the kingdom of darkness, and we're going to fight to establish your kingdom, and we're going to continue to fight that until you return and you make it complete. That's what you've done. You've made yourself an enemy. In fact, when you became a Christian, you put a big target on your back and said, I'm now rebelling against the powers of this world. In fact, I believe in hell somewhere, there is a wanted poster with your picture on it. It says, enemy of the state. It says, enemy of the kingdom of darkness. So yeah, there are some powers out there that see you as an insurrectionist, as a rabble rouser, as a rebel, as threatening their power. And yes, they are going to fight back. So it makes sense that you're targeted for suffering. It made sense that you were going to suffer in two, one of two ways. It's all persecution. There's, there, there, there's two types of persecution that you'll face as a follower of Christ. There's a direct and there's also an indirect persecution. Now, direct persecution is what we think about when we think of the word persecution. That so you're a Christian and you're going to be punished because you are a Christian. You can't work here or you can't live here or you can't have property here. Or in some places, they'll even outlaw your faith completely. So you can't practice it here. And if we do catch you practicing it, you'll go to jail or you'll lose your life. And we think of that persecution as something that happened in the past and happens in other countries. And, and it's not as strong here because thankfully we still live in a country where we can worship freely. And we can worship Christ freely because we have that religious freedom. But that doesn't mean that we're free from persecution, for being Christians. And if you don't believe me, just be vocal and outspoken about your allegiance to Christ, and you'll find out that you can still be persecuted for believing in Christ. That's what happened to to Tim Tebow. Remember when he was still playing professional football, very outspoken about his faith, and he faced a lot of criticism for it. Of course, people always said, well, it's because he's so outspoken. He's going to talk about it all the time. As in, we won't persecute you for being a Christian as long as you stay quiet about it. As long as you don't publicly practice your faith, which a key part of it is spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone. If you don't do that, you're fine. But if you're going to be open and talking about it, well, that's where we draw the line. I hear stories all the time, people from Hollywood, that as soon as they've come out as Christians, they found it much more difficult to get jobs. They found themselves sometimes shunned and even absolutely blacklisted. I've heard kids from our youth group at school being made fun of for their for being a Christian, for being outspoken, for being public about being a Christian. It's not as hard, as heavy as it was at one point, at least not yet, but it still happens. And that's direct persecution. Then there's an indirect persecution where you're not being persecuted necessarily because you're a Christian, but if you decide to make Christian choices in your life, and if you're striving to live according to your Christian values, then you get persecuted for that. And that happens quite often. What happens is is you decide not to engage in a certain type of behavior, or you'll you'll criticize the certain type of behavior of your friends, of your circle, and you're sometimes openly ridiculed because you're not being one of us. And it's not just happens with kids. It's not just teenagers and peer pressure. It happens in adults. You get into your places of employment and there are these circles where you're expected to play the game. You're expected, they'll say, to be a team player, which is good to be a team player, but they mean something different a lot of times when they say that. Taking one for the company. Sometimes asking you to do something that might fall in this gray area. Something that you know is not conforming to your values to Christ values if you decide not to do it can be punished for it I remember a few years ago when I was uh working for hospice we had a nurse that came in from another company and she talked about when she first got there that she was kind of on a fast track to management people were paying attention to her they liked her work ethic until one day they asked her to falsify a record They said, we need to get this patient in. Can you put this number down instead of the real number? And she refused to do it. She refused to do it because she believed that she had to work a certain way. She had to be honest in everything that she did and all of her dealings. She refused to do it, and from that day forward, she was no longer on the fast track to management. In fact, they hardly talked to her at all, and she was pushed to the outsides and eventually came to look for another job. She wasn't persecuted necessarily for being a Christian. She was persecuted for acting like a Christian. And then there's persecutions that we get from the spiritual realm that we don't even realize. Times when just things always fall apart in our life. It's always going wrong. We can't seem to do anything right. And it happens in these seasons. It always happens in these chunks. A lot of times we're being persecuted in spiritual ways that we're not even aware of. It's because you've made an enemy because you decided to be a follower of Christ. Peter says that persecution should not surprise you, that suffering should not surprise you. It's not unusual, nothing unusual about it. It's perfectly natural. But not only do we realize it's natural, but it's it's a reason to rejoice, he says. You can be happy about it. You should be happy. You should rejoice. And this is why, looking at verse 13 here, he says, but rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He's saying you can rejoice in your sufferings, that this can be a good thing. Now, how is that possible? You might say, how can it be a good thing? It's because you're sharing in the suffering of your Savior. If you're suffering as a follower of Christ, you are suffering in the same way that your Savior did. You're following the footsteps that He walked when He walked here on earth. And He suffered in order to save you. He suffered in order to deliver you from your sins. So if you suffer for His sake also, then you will be blessed. He suffered for your sake. And if you are willing to suffer for His... Then you will be blessed. And Peter names it right out. He says, If you're insulted for the name of Christ, then you will be blessed. If you're willing to endure punishment and persecution for the name of Christ, you will be blessed. If you're willing to be mocked for the name of Christ and for following his commandments, you will be blessed. If you are made fun of for the name of Christ, you will be blessed. If you lose promotions, if you lose status, if you lose money, all because you are living by the name of Christ, you will be blessed. It's the good kind of suffering. Suffering for the sake of Christ. Suffering for the cause of the kingdom of God. And your God sees it. And He will bless you. But Peter also must caution us to refrain from the other kind of suffering, because there is other kind of suffering. You can suffer for doing evil, and that's the pointless kind of suffering. This is what he says in verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. And what he's talking about is suffering for doing wrong. When we suffer for doing wrong, all you're doing is reaping what you sowed. You're reaping the results of your actions, and it's completely natural for you to suffer in that way. Because you've done something evil, and now something evil comes back upon you. And see, that's where we get confused, because we think that's the only type of suffering, and not the kind of suffering where you've made a powerful enemy in high spiritual places, so that powerful enemy is seen as put a target on your back. But there is that other kind of suffering where you do evil, you do wrong, and as a natural consequence, evil and wrong come right back to you. And that's the pointless suffering. That is a suffering that that leads to nothing good unless it leads to repentance. And if it leads to repentance, then bless you, that is some good suffering then. You've taken that suffering and you've made it something good. But all throughout history, good people have looked and they've seen that that the, the, the wicked have apparently prospered. And they're like, why is it the worst people in our society seem to make the most money, have the most power, the most fame, the most influence, and have the best lives around us? Why does that seem to happen? And this has is, this is plagued believers for centuries. Going all the way back to the Old Testament, we see Psalms and Proverbs written about it. And they remind us, even back then, don't be envious of them. Because it's going to fall back on their heads one day. And they will suffer for it, and it's going to be pointless when they do. I'm sure this week, have you all heard about this, uh, the FTX crypto crash over these last few weeks? I don't know, we haven't heard about it. FTX was this, this cryptocurrency exchange trading something or another where they, they, they traded crypto and then they had this sister company that had set up that had helped them do this crypto whatever. I, I don't, like I said, there's a lot of real complicated economic jargon that goes along with it. I'm not understanding everything that that happened there what I do understand is that they've just lost billions of dollars in like a few days this cryptocurrency crashed and they lost billions I mean they lost more money than all of us could make together in like a hundred years they lost they lost it all like in a week and they and, and they lose this and and just just a few months ago they were riding high they were on top of the world Super Bowl commercials Everybody was talking about them. They were were billionaires. And then within a week, they lose it all. Now, I I don't understand everything that went behind that. Like I said, there's a lot of technicalities that that are just beyond me. But I understand enough to know that what happened was a lot of dishonesty. That's what led to their fall. A lot of dishonesty and a lot of greed. And it led to their fall. And right now, those that were riding high are suffering a lot right now. And it doesn't look like it's the good kind of suffering. Because I don't even see a whole lot of at least public repentance out of the two main players that caused it all. All they talk about now is the only reason we wanted to have all this money is so we could do good things with the world one day. That's why we were doing this. And right now, it's pointless suffering. And it's a pointless suffering because the evil that they have done, and they did do evil, and they've caused a lot of pain to a lot of people. And it's all coming back on their heads. So you can live like the world does and try to advance and get ahead just like the world does, but you're going to suffer anyway. You're going to suffer just the same as everyone. Because evil will always self-destruct in the end. It happens every time. They self-destruct and their suffering is pointless. Or you can suffer while doing good suffering that leads to blessing and honor and glory this is what Peter says verse 16 yet if anyone suffers as a Christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of a God and if it begins with us what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God and if the righteous is scarcely saved what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There's a wonderful story out of the, uh, the Buddhist tradition about a man who was trying to relieve his suffering. And this man goes up to the Buddha and he says, I'm, I'm, I've got all this pain and suffering. I want to find a way to get rid of it. And Buddha says, I've got a potion I can make you that will get rid of all your suffering. And the way to make this potion is, you've got to travel around for a year, go to every house that has never experienced suffering, and get one mustard seed from it. And once you've done that, bring those mustard seeds back, and I can make you a potion that makes all your suffering go away. So this man set out into the world. He traveled for a year. For a year he came back, and he had nothing. He said, I traveled all over the lands, everywhere I went, and I could not find a single house that didn't have suffering." I saw it in the good, I saw it in the bad, it was in the rich, in the poor, I saw it in the powerful, and I saw it in the weak. That everybody suffers. Now, of course, we could ask the question, well, why do we have to suffer? Well, that would be, that would, that'd be a whole other sermon series, and we could talk for years about that, we could study it for years, and we could come up with some really good answers. But at the end of the day, it won't matter what answer we come up with or how close we get to the truth of why we suffer. Because at the end of the day, we're going to get back to the same point every time. And that is the point where we have to accept that we suffer in life. No matter how smart you are, no matter how the answers you get, how enlightened and peaceful you are, you have to get back to the point where we have to accept that we suffer in life. It's unavoidable. We can't change it, but you can change why you suffer. You can make your suffering mean something, or you can make sure it means nothing. You can suffer for being good, and you can suffer from the hand of the evil one because of Christ, and you will be blessed, and it will lead to glory and honor and blessing. Or you can suffer because you did evil. You'll face hardship either way. But why you suffer, what comes out of it, that is up to you. It can mean nothing or it can mean everything. So if you got your passport still, if y'all are still keeping track of your passports and writing down your advice week by week, here is your advice this week as an exile. Rejoice in your suffering. Rejoice in your suffering in your suffering. I know it sounds strange. Believe me, it sounds strange coming out of my mouth. It's counterintuitive. Doesn't really make any sense. And it's the kind of paradox that only Christ can make happen. Have you noticed that? Jesus is full of a lot of paradoxes. A lot of things that look bad end up being good. A lot of things that look good end up being bad. He said things like, if you want to live, you got to die. If you want to become great, you got to become small. And you can rejoice in your suffering because that is how you will become blessed. It's the kind of God we serve. This amazing God that can take your worst moments of life. He can take the darkest hours that you face and touching those moments with His grace, He can turn them into blessings. And that, my friends, is how all our suffering, all of our pain, all of our heartache, all of our grief and sadness, will one day be turned to joy. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.